0: Hello, this is Kurt Frankum, and many of you know me as the host of the Leading Saints podcast. But Leading Saints isn't just a podcast. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we strive to create quality leadership content for Latter-day Saints in order to help them be better prepared to lead. With this mission comes a lot of expense, and we need additional help to continue our efforts in the coming year. In order to exchange value for value, we have created the Core Leader Community. To become a core leader, all you have to do is become a subscribing donor, which might be a monthly recurring donation or even a quarterly or yearly donation. For those who become a core leader through a subscription donation, you have access to our core leader library, which includes additional recorded interviews not available to the general audience, access to all virtual summits, discounts on products and conferences, and access to a private core cast feed where you will hear additional leadership thought and behind-the-scenes happenings. We are a community of leaders making this happen, and we need you a part of this mission. Text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to become a core leader today, or visit leadingsaints.org slash donate. And we're back to the Leading Saints podcast. My name is Kurt Frankham. And I will be your host. Now, if you're not familiar with Leading Saints, I'm glad that you somehow made your way here. But we are a nonprofit organization with the mission of helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And one way we do that is through this podcast. And there's 370—I don't know—I've lost count—episodes. Almost have two and a half million downloads. I mean, we're really making some strides here. And I hope that you'll add a few more downloads to that uh, to that pile. By exploring the content, there's so many valuable interviews that I hope will enrich your your life, but also enrich your leadership experience. So definitely check that out. You can also go to LeadingSaints.org and see thousands of articles there, and join the newsletter and check out the summits. And I mean, there's so much content that we've put together to hopefully help Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And this episode will definitely do that. It was, it was such a fun episode to record as I invited Quinn Kelly, Bailey Savage, and Deb Hutchins into my home studio here to record. Uh, Deb was actually called in remotely from Twin Falls, Idaho, and uh, but nonetheless we captured her experience as well. But these are three women who experience same sex attraction, and uh, they talk about their developmental years in the church, being raised with uh, this experience and and that identity, and and how they reconciled it with the gospel, and and how they're doing that now, and and just so many perspectives. And really, we took it from what could you teach leaders, what could you help leaders with to help them be better prepared to minister to those those women in their ward who experience same-sex attraction. And some of their perspectives and points and principles they shared were so valuable, and I, I know that you'll you'll definitely enjoy them. And this is all in conjunction with uh, the North Star Conference that's coming up, and I can't, I, just like I talked about in the past, I can't express enough how much how much leaders need to be involved in this conference. So if you are in a reasonable traveling distance from Salt Lake City on March 5th through the 7th, they are holding the North Star Conference, which they do every year, which is so valuable. And North Star is a third-party nonprofit organization from the church, but they help build and stimulate community among the LGBT community of Latter-day Saints who are striving to maintain their covenants and, and have an enriching experience in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they do a phenomenal job at just that. And one of the ways they do that is through the conference. Now, on the 7th, that Saturday is actually the most important day for leaders to understand and know about because they put on free leadership sessions. So anybody that sits on a ward council and their counselors or or whatever, they can, they can go to northstar.com and register for this conference and go to those leadership sessions. It should be something that you go to every year. I promise you it will sustain you and in in your ministering efforts with uh, the LGBT Latter-day Saints. It is so, so valuable. So I'll put all the links of that in the show notes and talk about it more at the end of the episode, but this one is worth a listen. So you're going to enjoy it. So here's my interview with Quinn Kelly, Bailey Savage, and Deb Hutchins. Today, I find myself in our home studio here with uh, three fantastic ladies. I guess one of them is not physically here with us, but with uh, Quinn Kelly, Bailey Savage, and Deb Hutchins. Did I say your names right?
1: That's right.
0: Good. Well, welcome, and and you can hear us uh, up there in Idaho. Is that right, Deb?
1: Yep, I can hear you.
0: Good. Awesome. So I want to uh, ask you to do the impossible, and uh, well, let me let me set it up a little bit different. I as we've gone, you know, year to year, as we've been more and more involved with North Star and the good mission that they have, I've always tried to promote their their conference that they have every year, and we do that through talking about topics related to same-sex attraction about that experience in in, in the context of uh, being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and so we have uh, I've interviewed all sorts of different people on from different angles of of this topic and one a few people emailed me and said hey we would l- love to hear an interview where you interview women who experience same-sex attraction and and their uh, experience in being a Latter-day Saint and and serving in the church and and uh, you know the, the day-to-day, week-to-week experience of those types of Latter-day Saints. So I thought, great, let's, let's, find, let's find those women and bring them in the studio and have a conversation. That's what's led us here. So now is where I'm going to ask you to do the impossible. That is, tell your story in five minutes or less, okay, roughly speaking. I know, uh, obviously, your story is uh, much more in-depth and personal that way. So, Quinn, why don't we start with you? Sure. Uh, where, where do we begin to understand your story and put you into context here?
2: Sure, thanks. I grew up, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. My parents were converts when I was a baby. So again, essentially, I grew up a member. And I grew up in the 80s, which was a time when there wasn't a very significant dialogue surrounding LGBT issues, a very pervasive dialogue. And so it wasn't something that I thought about. And that was coupled with going to church each week, and attending Young Women's, and hearing the same message that you'll grow up, you'll get married, in the temple, you'll have kids. And so those two things, growing up in the 80s, coupled with with this message that I heard each week, made it so the thought never occurred to me that I could experience same-sex attraction. Mm. And it might sound funny to someone today and <laughs> in 2020, yeah. but I can tell you the thought didn't occur to me.
0: And this was before you even recognized maybe some of these feelings or?
2: Right, Uh right. I I, I didn't recognize the feelings and didn't think that there was any reason for me to to experience this. It wasn't until my early 20s when the thought occurred to me for the first time, I might experience same gender attraction, but this was around the year 2001, 2002, so still quite some time ago. Mm -hmm. Another twelve, thirteen 13 years passed and I'd call it like pressure mounting up, up like a dam, water in a dam. Mm-hmm. And I could no longer deny those feelings. And so this was about five years ago when I, one morning just woke up and said, I think, I think I'm gay. I think I experienced same sex attraction. And after talking to a lot of people, I, I believe that We've had similar experiences in that admitting it to yourself <clears throat> is almost as difficult as coming out to, to other people. And that was about five years ago. And that was a hard step for me. Mm. But I acknowledged those those feelings. I came out to select family and friends and began the process of reconciling my faith with my, my attractions and my feelings. And that's been about a five-year process for me. And like many people you'll talk to that are reconciling faith and and attraction, it's been a difficult process. It's been hard. Um, There's been moments that are filled with frustration and sadness and depression, but there's also been very sweet and tender moments from God. And that's my experience in
1: in a nutshell.
0: Awesome. Uh, Deb, let's go to you next. Uh, Tell us your story.
1: All right. I would say... Yeah, it's hard to start like where to begin. I grew up in St. Right. George and a fam- big family member for my whole life. And in high school, I, I know I had crushes on my friends, but I was too afraid of that possibly meaning that I was gay. So I would kind of cover it up as, oh, this is charity. And that's really how I buried it for the next like f- four years or so. Then I went on my mission, and at some point, towards the beginning, I realized, yeah, these thoughts that I'm having, these are definitely not normal. Like there's just nowhere, no way else to explain it. And that's when I came out to myself, which was very difficult. And a mission is a hard place to get the emotional support or it was, I think it's improving and that uh, communication with families is, is great. And it was there on my mission that came out to one of my companions for the first time, like first time coming out to anybody um and that was emotionally traumatic for me eventually ended up acting on those feelings with that same companion later and then later told my mission president and came home early from my mission by a, a few months and that was a time that was just really intense and i had to do a lot of personal seeking of what do i want to do how do i feel about myself how am i going to move forward in the church and at BYU and reconnecting with friends from before my mission. So it was just a really big transition state in my life. Thankfully, I had good, a few really good friends that were just very understanding and supportive. And and they are people who carried me through the hardest part of it. Gradually, I came out to more friends, my family. I got connected to BYU doing... I was a student at BYU and I got connected to a group of administrators and students who were working on Making BYU campus a better place for LGBT individuals. And we met once or twice a week for a few hours every week for about a year. And that is where I got to meet other LGBT students. And they they selected these students. There are probably only about 10 students and 10 administrators. And they were selected because it was a variety of opinions and experiences. And so it it naturally just <laughs> brought up a lot of friction, but it also taught me so much and learned to love these people so much and just being in that close group we met so often. And that really gave me more confidence being myself and also being confident to share my story more. So before this group, I was pretty closeted. I just had told a few friends, but then being a part of this group at BYU and having the support, then I could share my story more. And eventually I was on a BYU Instagram story about respect and the honor code representing LGBT students. I had, I did a voices of hope. That's a recording, like an interview of my story and my experience. And that was posted. And I shared that on my personal Facebook page and that was a big deal. And I even spoke at women's conference at BYU and Representing being LGBT in the church. And those were all just big things that I wouldn't have seen myself doing years before without the support of friends who are gay and other friends who are straight as well. And I have just really grown from that kind of support of other people and just knowing that they're there for me. So that's kind of where I'm at now. Um, it's been mm-hmm. going from being really, really scared to just being a lot more confident and sure of myself. But honestly, like I still. Find myself trying to go back into the closet sometimes, and moving to a new city, I've I'm moving around every six months now. And okay, what am I going to do now? So it's not that I am perfectly confident and just so open, but it's nice being able to see the progression. So that's a little bit of my story.
0: Yeah, interesting, it, because it's almost like that coming out experience never really ends, right? Because you move, or especially in the ward or in the church, you go to different wards and you sort of have to come out once again, you know, and that can be Mm -hmm. such a a difficult process to go over. Yeah. And
1: trying to, trying to do it in a way that is less ritualistic or less dramatic and more normal. It's, it's kind of fun. Sometimes I've had a friend ask, Oh, Deb, are, are you going on a, are you, what is it? Like, are you dating anybody? I'm like, no, I'm not. It's kind of tricky because I'm gay. So I don't,
0: <laughs> yeah. but and to some people, just trying to be, be
1: more like, normal well, and bring it up in a normal conversation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and we're going to talk more about that concept, but so I want to go back to you coming home from your mission. So was it a type of thing that, uh, cause I know that can be a very traumatic experience and, you know, uh, shaming in some experience. Did you come home feeling like, was it, was it, did you feel like you're in trouble and you're being sent home and, you know, that can really impact your self-worth. So was it difficult to maintain your connection to the, to the church experience?
1: There was definitely a lot of shame, but it was almost entirely internally created the shame. Mm-hmm. And I remember being so worried once I knew that I would be sent home, like, oh, okay, you're going to go home in like four days from now. Just the fear of like, what is everyone else going to think about me or say, or how am I going to be accepted or rejected? Because months earlier in my mission, I had, I had like the stigma of the thought that if there was an early return missionary, not for emotional or physical reasons, then like that's terrible. That's just absolutely terrible how horrific. And then I was that person. So there's a lot of humility and a yeah. lot of understanding. I think really there's a huge blessing of just like being humbled and being more <laughs> understanding and just realizing like, people have challenges. And maybe they aren't the same challenges as yours. What you think is hard might be easy to them. And what you think is easy might be super hard to them. And so that, that opened up a lot of understanding there. But yeah, coming home, I was surprised just how well-received I was. I didn't feel like people were rejecting me. Most people Because so I I went on a mission during the time where it was like the flood of age change missionaries. And so there were just a ton of missionaries going out. And then when I was coming back home, like a ton of missionaries coming back home. And so because I came home only three months early, a lot of people didn't even realize I came home early because it was just like, Oh yeah, you're a missionary coming back during this this time, just like everybody else. But or I had broke my foot on my mission a a few weeks earlier. And people were like, Oh, did you come home early because of your foot? And it had healed by then. So But there was just internally, it was really difficult. I was very worried about like, oh, I was so worried of making new friends who were women. I was so scared of even just like making any physical contact at all with friends. And it took some good therapy of just a few sessions of good therapy. And then some a couple of really solid friends that just, they could love me even when I couldn't love myself for a few months and getting to a point where just getting some fresh air and a new perspective and just ready to Move forward.
0: Awesome. Well, let's. Uh, we're definitely going to touch more on that. And I also, as we go through this, uh, Deb, feel free. I'm just intrigued by that transition because obviously you weren't the first to uh, go through something like that. You won't be the last. And so I think uh, maybe learning more about your perspective as far as what leaders could have could have done or did do or all that in that process that would be great to to touch on. So uh, Bailey, let's uh, recap your story.
3: Okay. So. I grew up in the church and was always like a tomboy into sports and didn't realize until my senior year of high school that I was attracted to women and it terrified me. I was like, this can't be a thing. Like this doesn't work. Like there's something wrong with me. And I was so scared I couldn't hold it in. So I kind of figured out who might be safe to talk to. Mm. And my volleyball coach turned out to be a really good resource. She was also a counselor at my school. Mm. So I I told her, like, I'm afraid that I might be lesbian. And she said, there's nothing wrong with you. And I was like, just the most reassuring thing, Mm. because I felt like there was. But yeah, she was super loving. And she did ask, like, well, what does your church teacher think about that? And I was like, "Uh, it's not okay. But she said, you are okay, Mm. And um, I really needed that because I spent a lot of years after that kind of like in denial. (laughs) Like no, I just I just really love my friends. Or it was a phase, right? Yeah, it's a phase. It's I'm a late bloomer, you know. But yeah. um, it it just kept coming up, and I kept hating myself for it. It's like, oh man, I'm falling for another friend. Like I can't do this. This is not allowed. This is not going to work. Hmm. This is not in the plan. And yeah, just that that conflict was really difficult. I did have some really good friends and and bishops at BYU that were willing to listen to me, and it meant a lot to have them love me when I couldn't love myself like they Mm. they helped me to believe that it was possible that oh you you know this about me and you still care like maybe I could love me maybe yeah (laughs) so yeah I started seeing a counselor and working with these bishops and they were good listeners I also had some friends that were good at listening and that meant a lot I always wanted to serve a mission and I was able to serve in Nebraska, which was awesome. I had wow, a great mission president and companions and it it was so wonderful. Like I loved being able to share my testimony because I felt like this whole struggle had helped me come closer to God. And I wanted to share with people like, yeah, Christ really can cleanse and forgive and heal and change our hearts. And it was great to be able to share that. And, um, I, yeah, I was, I was terrified to come home though. I was like, I do not want to get back into that (laughs) dating world. That is going to be awful. And when I did get home, I moved in with some mission friends and they're like, oh, you should date Jared Savage, who's in the ward. And I was like, I got home a week ago. You all need to calm down. Like, I don't even think so. And they didn't know that I was attracted to women, but I did want an eternal family. Like that's always been something that's really important to me. Like one of those deep desires of my heart. So I um, was like, well, I got to date guys then if if I'm going (laughs) to, you know, raise a family in the gospel and be a mom like I always dreamed. So I started dating Jared and he was a really nice guy. I think God knew this was going to be hard for me. So he like gave me reassurances (laughs) all along the way. Like he's really good. Uh His family's really good. And not just he's good, but he's good for you. Wow. And so like just all along the way as we're dating, it was like, yep, this could work. As crazy as it would be, like, this could actually work. And my bishop at the time counseled me to tell Jared that I was attracted to women. And I was like, oh, okay, fine. (laughs) So I did and gave him some time, like, you know, take it or leave it. Like, whatever you're comfortable with, great. And he thought about it and came back to me and was like, you know, I like the direction you're going in. It's the direction I want to go. So let's go in it together. Hmm. So we got engaged. We felt, yeah, like marriage is the right thing for us and God's going to help us make it work. And he has. It's been amazing, really, to see how my love for Jared has grown and how, yeah, the Lord's just been helping us all along the way. There have certainly been hard times, especially when I experienced some postpartum depression. And that's when I actually found North, North Star and mm-hmm. got some support and community there. And yeah, I I wasn't able to kind of put it on a shelf anymore. Mm-hmm. Because for the first few years of our marriage, it wasn't really discussed. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little bit here and there. Or if I did have feelings, I just like brush them aside. But yeah, with the depression, it just fell off and scattered everywhere. And now we got to pick up the pieces and like, okay, we can't put it back up. So how can we incorporate this into our life? Yeah. And it's been a process, but it's been so good because I've even just recently come to the realization that this gayness is actually a gift from God that he's given me so that I can... Bless others. Yeah, it's beautiful. And but uh, it's it's very liberating.
0: Yeah. That's great. So you mentioned with you you had a great mission president and, and that sounds like that mission was a very positive experience. So were you up front with your mission president about these feelings from the beginning or?
3: So I didn't tell him like in the first interview, uh-huh. but pretty quickly, like okay. within the first few weeks, it was like, I should tell him like, I can't handle this on my own. I need somebody yeah. to talk to.
0: And I imagine that that was helpful that every time you had that interview with the, your president, he, he was aware of that. And you just knew yeah. that I'm in a safe place that, and it goes back to those safe places just from that volleyball coach, even like knowing that you're walking into a conversation with someone who's safe, like that's very encouraging and it gives you more and more hope, right?
3: Oh, definitely. Yeah. He
0: was yeah. incredible. Awesome. Well, thank you. Those uh, again, each you all deserve your own podcast episode because those stories are so intriguing, and, and we'll hopefully touch on them more as we go through this. But let's talk about something that was mentioned as we before we recorded. That sometimes I think about these things like oh, we don't even need to talk about that because that's so like old fashioned. And, and Deb brought it up, and so I want to make sure we we tackle this hard and get it out of the way. But Deb, and we'll we'll start with you just as far as this concept of the. I think I mean even the the church has a pretty clear stance that we that that we don't believe that this is a choice, that at some point you decide, you know, I'm going to go this way, you know, and, and again, that doesn't make sense in, in a lot of ways. But but Deb, how would you articulate that? Just, I mean, why, why would it be important to reemphasize that this, these, this feeling of same-sex attraction is not a choice?
1: I think if someone assumes it's a choice, it just, it's kind of taking away the fact of, and the reality of the challenge of the situation. And so I think that's what hurts so much is just feeling such a huge gap of not feeling understood. And that's what we d- desire as people. And so if you just, the view or the perspective of thinking being gay is a choice, like you choose to go off with someone of your same sex because of you just decided that was cool or the thing that day, like that's not, that's just not how it is. So I just think it's a, this needs to be said that it's not a choice. And as you said, the church recognizes that as well. And maybe teachings decades ago were different but we're a church continuing in light and understanding and we understand more now that it's a complex reality as Russell and Ballard has shared yeah it, so it's really simple yeah yeah
0: it's simple right this we're taking a strong sta- uh, position that we, we all believe <laughs> this is not a choice and uh, and I love how Bailey emphasizes that really you see it it's a gift right and it's a beautiful gift and it can be a gift that leads you to Christ, right?
3: Yeah. It's been a long time coming to be able to see it that way. Yeah, But yeah, just recognizing that there's like a biological basis to it helped me to start to accept it. And that like, yeah, my brain is just wired to bond with women Mm -hmm. and I should use that to to bless their lives.
0: Yeah. And I can see that from a leadership standpoint, like somebody coming in to, you know, the quote unquote, the bishop's office, right. Or or some coming out where if you're in the state of mind of like, oh boy, like this is uh, one, obviously if you think it's a choice, you've (laughs) <laughs> there's a lot more work for you there, but, but even if you're like, okay, this is a trial, like, even if you're in that, it's, it's not as helpful. But when you say like, oh, this is a gift, like this person has come into my office to share with me something they've been blessed with and a, a, a blessing that'll lead them, that, that can lead them closer to Christ. Right. And that thing it puts everybody in a state of mind, that's going to help things progress to a healthy place rather than think, okay, this is like a burden we need to overcome or things a like problem that.
3: problem right? that needs to be fixed. Yeah. Or
0: something needs to be fixed. Right anything we're missing there is that have we we're clear we're, all right we've made we're clear on that point so deb i want to go back to something you mentioned uh, you early on when you were sort of reconciling these this this identity with uh with yourself that you thought maybe it was charity and this is interesting because i've talked with a, a room full of of men who experience same-sex attraction and and i know even in my ex- relationship with my wife like she her experience of attraction is different than my experience of attraction right and so i think there's it's easy to say, oh, well, you're all in this group, right? You all experience same-sex attraction. But I would imagine it manifests itself differently where I would imagine a lot of men, I don't mean to generalize, but a lot of men who experience same-sex attraction, they're not, it's maybe more of a a physical attraction or men are maybe wired that way. I'm, I'm getting myself into muddy waters here. But but for you, Deb, you kind of said, well, maybe I just really love people a lot. So maybe I'm charitable. Is that how you'd, you would articulate it?
1: Yeah. And mostly in high school on my first few years of college, that's kind of the perspective that I had. And I think going back to what Bailey was talking about with gifts, that there are natural gifts. And so I do believe even if my attraction isn't charity, like I can realize that now, I think it opens up the door of feeling charity more easily. It's mm-hmm. almost like the door's open. I just have to go through it. It's, it's really, it's a lot easier to love people. And then it also helps me reach out to people that are harder to love that I don't naturally love, but I have this natural practice and ability to care deeply about people and to be willing to serve other people. So yeah, I, I don't have the, the male experience of same-sex attraction. So I couldn't say if it right. is how exactly different it is or the, sim, the similarities. And I, I know there are similarities and there's just going to be differences as well. But yeah, it was, it was confusing and it was an easy way to, to try to cover it up in my own mind at that age.
0: Yeah. And again, we may be uh, venturing in, in dangerous waters here trying to compare it to what the men experience, but anything else that you would say that maybe some people get wrong as far as what you are experiencing with same-sex attraction that they assume it's it's strictly sexual, right? And uh, Yeah. <laughs> along those lines?
1: Yeah. There's a, so much to attraction. It's the idea of caring for somebody or wanting to be with them or spending time with them or, or seeing the good in other people. There's just so many different aspects of attraction beyond sexual. And yeah, it's, it's more complex than, than just sexual attraction. Yeah, for sure. And a sure. And that's the other thing is that there are so many ways that can be expressed attraction in an appropriate way without yeah, crossing a boundary of any kind that is actually really nice and other people appreciate and being able to compliment freely and to see the good and be supportive.
0: Yeah, and maybe that helps us dovetail into this conversation of as far as the importance of connection with other women in your experience. Because you may think like, okay, I I recognize that this is part of who I am. I'm, I'm attracted to the same sex, so I need to somehow get involved with a men's poker night or something. Because then I, I'm not around women. Right? That would be ridiculous, right? So, but none. But you've all have recognized that actually connecting with women through and and the church is a great place to do that has really benefited your faith and uh, your your stability as a person. Did you bring this up, Quinn? What What are your thoughts on that? As far as connecting with other women,
2: I think something that I would want my leaders to understand and and all church leaders to understand is that anyone who experiences same sex attraction, if we're going to church, we're likely going to church for the same reasons that they are. Right, and that's to feel the Spirit, to partake of the sacrament, to keep covenants, and furthermore. There's a social aspect to that, just like there is for for a majority of the ward members. President Hinckley said, we all need a friend, a responsibility, and the nurturing word of God. Mm -hmm. And I think that's even more important for those who are experiencing same-sex attraction, that we can go to a safe space and worship with other women who have the same goals that we do, have the same beliefs that we do and are on the same covenant-keeping path that we are, and that we can form those connections. And that's an important part for me in, in filling that that hole in my heart. And so I don't want a leader to think that I'm at church to to find someone to date right? or, or to make those type of connections. I'm there for the same reason you are. And it's so important to, to form those friendships. And this is one place where I can go to get that
0: support. Yeah and i can see like that a scenario could happen where a bishop you know maybe you come out to to a bishop and then you know he may give a heads up to the reside president hey just make sure that you know not, no silly business is going on and they're, making, they're they're not connecting too deeply with other women but in reality just like deb's experience like 90% of what she described of, of this attraction is completely legal right like connecting with women spending time with them caring for one another right obviously there's some clear lines there that uh, that, you know, there shouldn't be crossed, but, but not to discourage that just because maybe your brain is wired more, more in this way than, than not. Right. Yeah. Anything that we're missing with that as far as connecting, connecting with, with women at church and in society or.
1: Something no, <laughs> with that, as, sorry, as Quinn had talked about, like the reason of going to church and having it be so similar, I can, I agree. And as I was pondering and preparing for this, interview i was thinking of what respect i have for any lgbt individual who is connected at all with the church that the reason that they're connected has to have some deep testimony to it so for even our friends that end up leaving the church or maybe just coming every once in a while or even just reading some scriptures sometimes by themselves not at church that they have such a deep testimony of something and I just really admire that and respect that. That if <laughs> you don't go because it's easy, you go because there's something important that you find there through Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah, awesome. And I can just imagine like a, a leader again approaching this as it's a gift, right? Uh, 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 coming out to a leader and that leader coming back at you with, "Oh, this is a gift. This is beautiful. In fact, I need you to use this gift and Relief society, right? This supercharges you to be a charitable sister, to be loving and connecting. And so, lean into that, right? And that that can be. A message of oh wait I'm not you mean I'm not broken I'm actually enhanced somehow this is great you know and it can be a hopeful message for sure and then maybe as far as I think Bailey you mentioned this before we hit record as far as letting us serve right I think a lot of people think again maybe that naive leader would think okay let's kind of put them in this box here and sure come to church yeah but let's not give you any influence here because you know we don't want this getting out or out of control but what's your thoughts on that Bailey as far as letting Letting you serve. And maybe how are what are some examples where that you've heard that maybe this is discouraged leaders from letting them serve?
3: I don't actually have a whole ton of negative examples because I've been blessed with amazing bishops and other church leaders who have let me serve. And it's been amazing. My current bishop has made it really safe for me to start coming out because I feel like that's where I'm, I'm ready Like, I was in young women's and I felt like in this one lesson, oh, I should actually share at least a little bit of my story
2: Mm.
3: as it relates to the lesson. And so I went and talked to him and I'm like, are we okay with this? Like, because I need you to have my back.
0: Yeah. Right. That's (laughs) that's crucial.
3: And he was like, yeah, I actually think that would be awesome and really helpful for you to share that with them. I was like, okay. Great. And then he happened to be in the lesson with me when I, I did. And I was so scared. Oh my goodness. I'd never come out like to a group before and I was shaking and I waited until like the last five minutes of class. But then I I did. I just let them know like, Hey, this is part of my experience and how it helped me gain my testimony. And Bishop was like, and isn't she adorable? (laughs) Like he just, he just is always overflowing with compliments and expressing love for me and letting me know and letting everybody else know that this is okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. Quinn, do you, or how have you served?
2: Right. I've, I've had many callings from in the young women's to the relief society, to most recently gospel doctor and teacher. (laughs) And I think it's important to note that in terms of serving, and again, this might be an outdated idea, but simply because I'm gay or because I experience these attractions doesn't mean that I can't serve with the relief society. doesn't mean that I can't serve with the youth. Right. And maybe that is an outdated idea, but I think it's still important to note because there are are leaders that could feel that way. And we certainly shouldn't be excluded and we should be included like Bailey's experience.
0: Yeah. And it's almost like subconscious exclusion a little bit. Like, I don't think any leader is mentally thinking, okay, because they experience this, we're not going to let them have these four callings, but just like throughout the natural conversation, as you discuss names for callings, like just check yourself, make sure you're not automatically leaving some of these names out. Right. right. Um, And that, that can be where maybe some of the damage comes from. So you mentioned as far as like leaders, it was important that a leader had your back, Bailey. I I love that. Like any other examples of like, you mentioned just in the context of a class, like when you opening up about this and we're going to talk about coming out in this, especially like in Deb's scenario where she, she moves a lot and different wards and has to go through this again and again. But What are some other examples of how leaders could really have your back in this experience?
3: Well, for those who are not out, I think it's important for leaders to somehow make it known that they're available and willing to talk about hard things, Mm. including LGBT experience, just so that like anybody that is scared and doesn't want to come out or doesn't feel like they have anybody they can talk to, if that leader had just like maybe mentioned one time some friend that they have, or, you know, they would let that, scared little soul know that oh that's a safe person i can talk to
0: mm-hmm. so kind of use you as a as a resource i mean that's one way yeah. he show that he sh- that leader will show confidence in you saying this is person's a person to resource talk to talk to bailey because she, she gets it right yeah yeah that's good i mean i think that's that it. that's a strong message so now i want to talk about this concept of coming out because we've seen some examples sometimes the the media gets a hold of it or Facebook you know gets shared again of people maybe coming out in sacrament meeting during fast and testimony meeting or you know some of these more public settings and it's one of these things that's like okay like like maybe don't do it that way but it still has to happen some way right like what what are your thoughts as far as like how would you or some people say why do I, I don't need to come out you know as, with with this thing I deal with or that thing I deal with so why do you have to come out with this thing but it is from what I understand it is important in that healing process and, and in that spiritual development. Right. So what do we need to understand about this concept of coming out? That's so crucial.
3: I think it's important to recognize everybody needs to do it in their own time and in their own way. Yeah. So for me personally, to this point, it's been more like one-on-one mm-hmm. as I, you know, connect with my ministering sisters or whoever, like, Oh yeah, this is part of my experience. And just like gradually making it known in an individual one-by-one basis.
0: Yeah. And, and now it's you coming out on a podcast as well. So, so yeah, then- <laughs>
3: now I get to share it with the whole world if I want. Um, yeah.
0: Deb, what about you? As far as, you know, you talk about this concept of like the first time it feels more like this event, right? I sat my parents down or I sat my friends down and I, and I told them this thing, Right. But now, you know, after you've had that big moment, just like Deb, your experience, I mean, this is sort of a day-to-day, week-to-week thing that you sort of have to work it into natural conversations without being like, all right, this is a big thing I'm about to tell you, right? Any thoughts uh, that would be helpful from you, Deb?
1: Yeah, well, and what you had said earlier about coming out at church is just like, well, people don't have to come out either, you Mm -hmm. know, whenever they feel like it's a good time for them. Um, Something I consider right now is coming out is an experience where afterward, I just feel really vulnerable or scared with how that person is going to, from that point on, treat me or interact with me. And I would say always, I am way more afraid and way more worrying about me being gay than they are. And so so now I've gotten to the point where if it is really pertinent to the conversation, or for some reason, it just makes sense, then I can I can do that if someone's asking about my dating life. (laughs) Or, oh, you're going to go move over here and you're going to go find someone to marry. You're going to find your guy. And I'm like, yeah, probably not. And sometimes I could say, yeah, probably not. Like, I'm actually attracted to women. So it's not really a big goal for me right now. And. Mm -hmm. And I think you had even mentioned like testimony meeting or a talk that like, that would be inappropriate. And it's like, I think there's a lot of ways that it could be inappropriate. And I think there's a lot yeah. of ways that it actually could be yeah, appropriate. For sure. It's not the focus. It's not the, hello, I'm going to share my coming out story. It's I'm sharing my testimony and maybe part of that is right. is I've had, I've seen the support of Christ um, and his understanding in, in trials of my life or in things that I feel misunderstood about. And that could come up that way in in a really appropriate kind of way with a focus on a savior. But yeah, now it's it's really a decision where I felt like for a few years that it was something I, I needed to tell because it felt like a secret. And it just doesn't feel good to be keeping such a big like secret from some people that are so close to me in my life. So I kind of went through that phase of telling people who I felt like really should know these things about me. They know so much more about me and that it's a key part of my life experience. And you can, when you talk about like, well, straight people, like they don't come out. It's like, well, they, they do come out if, if they're dating anybody and holding hands. If they right. talk about their spouse and kids, like that's them coming out. It just seems very normal. So it it's a little different. And so It's assuming and you have to, it's a correction and it's hard to correct other people, correcting people's assumptions that you're straight. And now you're changing their understanding by correcting them that you're gay or coming out. And so it's not, it's not a moment of like, I'm telling you you're wrong, but it's just, it's really hard to do that as a person directly conflicting with someone's previous thought about you.
0: Yeah. And uh, like you said, there are so many ways where it could be appropriate, like for a sacrament, a meaning setting where I, I would love for, you know, if a bishop is aware of somebody who is, has this desire to be more open about it, you know, to say, hey, why don't we Why don't you? We have you speak in sacramenting, kind of tell your story a little bit, to you know, work into some gospel principles. And this could be a very uplifting and engaging talk that would bless. And, and sport, maybe it's right? a
1: fifth Sunday lesson. Yeah, like fifth fifth if it's going to be about like loving LGBT individuals, I, I would see that as a, like a wonderful fifth Sunday lesson or Relief Society or Elders Quorum lesson. But yeah, I think there are places and spaces for that.
0: Yeah. And I think we just have this, this habit that came from somewhere, even in like, uh, I see it in the context of, of addicts where, uh, as somebody may be addicted to a substance or pornography or whatever, and they, you know, they go through the repentance process and, you know, they're to a s- stable point and that Bishop or that leader may say, okay, let's just, you know, this, w- this has been handled, let's put it away and not address it again. But then those others that say, no, I want to tell my story. And the more they tell their story about their recovery like that's so it connects with those other people that are struggling. Right. And so, again, not that I'm comparing this to an addiction, but I'm just saying in this uh, in a similar context of you being open, that's going to make connect to some people are wrestling themselves or or need a a safe person to talk to. Right. So it can be in the right Scenarios, which is easy to do, it can be a huge blessing. So
2: anything yeah, else everybody's
1: everybody's struggling with something, and so it's just yeah. opening up the fact that like we're human. I have experiences. I'm I'm not as perfect as I look on the outside, and it really opens up for that real connection and the growth. And I think being vulnerable with friends allows them to be vulnerable back, and then we can have support each other, as Bailey was saying, and have each other's backs.
0: Yeah. Any other thoughts on this?
2: I'd say that everyone's path is different. Everyone's path is unique. And for some people, they might feel inspired to, to discuss this type of thing in a meeting or in a fifth Sunday. And some don't feel comfortable coming out, but either way as leaders of the church and as members of the church of Jesus Christ, we need to love and we need to be welcoming. Our signs say visitors welcome everyone that walks in, the chapel needs to feel accepted and loved. And certainly there are prerequisites for things such such as temple attendance and callings, but there's no prerequisite for walking in the front door and being part of that congregation. And so again, regardless of whether we choose to come out or not, we need to, to welcome everyone.
0: Love it. Perfect. Quinn, this is a point you brought up as far as, uh, Sometimes we can you being single and same sex attraction it's easy to group you in with all the other singles like your experience must be just like the the straight singles right what what could we learn from from that point that would help leaders
2: Yeah this this is an interesting question but I think there are big differences between a member of the church who is same sex attracted and single and a member a similar member who is straight, a, a woman who is single, and a leader or a bishop might say, "It's the same experience, right? Other people, there's other single women in the church, and they're fine, and you should be fine." But in my mind, it couldn't be more different. Mm. Um, I have I have friends that are my age and aren't married and want to be married dearly, and they wake up every morning. And they go out and they date and they wake up with this hope that it'll come to them one day. My experience is different because I get up every morning and and I don't have that hope. I don't have that hope of finding someone to mm-hmm. marry. And I've found happiness in my life, but for a lot of people, that they could wake up with, with despair, quite the opposite of hope. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to remember that those two experiences are very different.
0: Yeah. And is there anything like... What's a leader to do with that as far as uh, with how they interact or is a certain way they communicate with them or things that they just shouldn't say or, or what, what? what's the application in that for, for leaders?
2: Well, I think to to acknowledge that difference and mm-hmm. to acknowledge that there there's a reality that this person who who might long to to be with someone might never have that opportunity if they want to stay on this covenant path and. Then secondly, to realize that that there are still opportunities for joy and happiness in this life, and LGBT members of the church can and have found those paths of happiness.
0: Yeah, and uh, sometimes it's easy to default to the position of like, well, the plan of salvation includes that marriage component, So, and if we just constantly lead that way rather than to the Savior way, right? That's- uh, that's maybe the, the slight difference that can really do more damage than good. Right. Bailey, any thoughts your way
3: along the lines of like avoiding damage and saying things that are hurtful? I think it's great that anybody that's listening is listening and hearing our perspectives, but I would encourage them to keep learning and to keep, yeah, finding resources. There are tons of fantastic resources published by the church and even just scientific articles that can help you understand our perspective so that you are more aware and less likely to to influence us in ways that would be damaging. Because I think even Jared and I, before we were married, we had this, this like hope that maybe my attractions would go away once we were married. Like uh-huh. that, I don't know, different people had suggested that that might be a possibility and that's just not the case. And so like understanding those types of things can be really helpful to not, yeah, like give us false hope right. or anything like that.
0: Yeah. And, and I, for that, even in the context of like making statements in the eternities that this is going to be go away or fix in the eternity. like we really just don't know or don't understand know. that. So you're better off just not even going there. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, but as a leader, I, I remember just being in that state, I just want to offer you so much hope. Like, so let me put some, a, a sentence together and throw at you and be like, there, there's your hope. Hang on to it. In reality, that statement could be completely false. Right. So yeah,
3: stick with what, you know, and What I know the most is that Christ is the one that can help us. Yeah.
0: And you mentioned this before you hit record, as far as like this concept of as one of the best things a leader could do is just educate themselves, right? Learn Mm -hmm. that you mentioned articles, the church has articles, websites, you know, North Star is a great resource uh, for all these things. So uh, just being proactive and learning, like even if they say everything wrong in the book, but you know that they're trying and they're actually looking into some of these things like that's, that's really all you need at the end of the day, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. And it's
3: nice if they can even just say like, actually, I haven't, you know, had a lot of experience or learned much about this, but I want to help me understand your perspective and being willing to listen to us is really reassuring. Yeah.
0: And this is a, I just, this is a softball plug that I have to take with, with Northstar because, you know, every year they, they put on this conference and there's a leadership session that's completely free to members of ward councils. And I, I you know, it's, it's so awesome to see those rooms fill with leaders, but I'm always like, we're, we're do this in salt Lake. Like there's, we should fill up arenas with these leaders, you know? And it's so simple. And, or I see people, I'll talk with people like, Oh, you come to North star again this year. They're like, Oh, well I went last year. Like I'm, you know, maybe next year or whatever. I'm like, like if you like, this is really the only thing you need to do. Is just once a year, you go to this leadership session at North Star, and you just educate yourself. And again, you're you're not going to come out an expert, or you're not going to know everything to say. But knowing that they have a bishop who goes to this to this these leadership session is just trying to understand and learn. Like that is so much of the work right there, right? So you got to just get to these leadership sessions and. And and really go to the entire conference; it's fantastic. And I go to the conf- the entire conference every year. And and I I always walk into rooms and uh, breakouts where I think I have like no personal connection to this topic, but I'm just going to sit and sort of try and hear others' experiences, and it blesses my life so much. So get to the Star conference. All right, well, we'll keep plugging that. But uh, Deb, any thoughts that uh, I don't want to skip over you uh, at a distance? So
1: thanks. Yeah, when oh the concept of eternity and the concept of hope Mm. as you were saying like we don't know what's going to happen and we don't need to pretend that we we know but there are a few things that we know as Bailey said the hope comes in Christ and it's true that there's this is even though like I don't know what's going to happen with my marital status throughout eternity I know that God is good and that he loves me and that he has power and he has a plan And I just do not feel doomed. I don't feel destined for sadness for eternity. And I know there's hope. And I I don't know how it's going to all work out. And I don't have a plan in my head for how it should work out. But I just know that it's not a gospel of being doomed. And so when it comes to a bishop, something I appreciate as being a, a YSA age is not getting pressured to date men or not getting asked and pushed about that. Whole bunch, especially if I've come out to them. Just an appreciation for where I'm at and the contributions I can make as a single member. That I think, they're, when we're talking about callings, YSA, gay YSA members contribute so much to the church, particularly to the youth and YSA and mid single adult age. It's so having mid single adults that are single and willing to serve and have time and energy and an enthusiasm. And it's amazing kind of what the contributions happen, particularly to the youth in the church through ISA. So I think bishops have some like secret trump cards of like, look at this, like we can pull in this person who's just really willing and excited and has the, the time and the talents and the willingness to contribute to award. So I think yeah. being seen for the gifts that we have instead of, oh, you don't have any hope but it is so different. I was—I would agree so much with Quinn that the difference of being single and straight in the church is you have this hope for maybe someday or eventually an eternity or, oh, it's one of those 2000 stripling warriors, which we have no idea about their marital status either. But <laughs> they all live. So I don't know. whatever. Maybe they right. found people. Um, yeah, they all maybe grew, 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 grew old with grandkids, yeah. right? I'm like, I don't know why we're all going after them, but okay. Um, <laughs> uh, that it's, there's just so much that we don't know. And so there are going to be other points for anchoring our testimonies other than dating when it comes to church.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned as far as the, the resource that, you know, especially the YSA LGBT group is, uh, I know when I go to the North star conference, like, and, and I don't mean to generalize a certain demographic, or anything, but you people are just a lot more fun. There's more energy there. There's hugs going around and, and you know, that's, boring straight people or, uh, you know, don't touch me like, let's just shake hands and uh, we'll, we'll be good there. Right. You know? So, uh, just being more involved in that community has really helped me grow personally. And so leverage that again, going back to this is a gift. Like so why aren't you using it in your ward? It is a beautiful gift, right? Awesome. Um, anything else on that topic before we move on? We're good. All right. Um, the, you've touched on this a little bit Bailey, but you, as far as this concept of talking to a bishop, no, and I think Deb, uh, Deb, you had a, um, a perspective on this as far as like when an individual, whether it's a coming out scenario or not, or just talking with a bishop, like don't jump to assumptions, of as far as what they're saying. And, and I often hear it in the context of you know, maybe an individual comes into a bishop and says, you know, I experienced same sex attraction or I'm gay. And, and that bishop assumes they've done something wrong. Like, Oh no, no. Like what did you do? Right. But De- Deb, you kind of talk about another scenario that don't assume they haven't done anything wrong either. Right.
1: Yeah. I, it felt weird writing it down, taking notes, but it's like, don't assume the best in people, which seems <laughs> like counter, it's like, yeah, hear me out. The understanding of if I'm coming to a bishop saying, Hey, I need help. Or even if I don't say I need help saying, can I meet with you and talk to you about this? It's probably because it's weighing me down or I have something that's hard to deal with that, okay, I've finally gotten to the point that I can talk with my bishop. And if I come and come out to my bishop and then just instantly, I've had this happen with just other ward members or a bishop where then they just instantly start praising me of, oh, I'm so glad you're just not dating other women and that you're staying in the church and that you're not doing, you're not going down a different path. It's like, hold up. I, I haven't said actually what I am doing. And, <laughs> right. you know, and maybe, maybe I'm not doing those things that you're thinking of, but give me the space, allow me the space to talk. And particularly in the role of a bishop, where if there's someone that I'm supposed to talk to about spiritual development and progression or spiritual setbacks and trip-ups then to allow the space. It's so much harder if two seconds ago, he just said, thanks for being so perfect at this, that you're like, actually, I'm not perfect at that. That's way harder to get through and be able to express the truth. I was thinking it would be really nice if I had a bishop just ask me if I have a meeting with them, even if it's just like the Annual get together and let's chat for twenty minutes meeting to ha- let have them ask me is there anything weighing on your heart spiritually or what's what's been difficult for your spiritual progression that they are spiritual leaders and they they can ask is there what is it's not is there anything that's hard for you spiritually everybody has something hard for them spiritually mm-hmm. and so that opens up the door and so what it is is it's reaching out part way to allow the other person to reach back and instead of me doing a hundred percent of the coming out and, Hey, can we meet? And can I tell you my hard things? And now I'm going to say this hard thing. If you meet with a Bishop and they were to say what's hard for you, it's so much easier to answer that versus just coming out with the thing that's hardest for you.
0: Yeah, no, that's helpful. And and I love that. And I think a lot of leaders, especially Bishop members will hear that be like, well, we, we ask them that question every two years during their temple recommend, you know, is there anything that would, you know, hold you back from whatever the question is, but really like in the context where you are, in a sincere conversation, one-to-one, and you're not just going down a list of questions asking them, you know, anything that's weighing on you, let's talk about it, right? And and that just opens a door of, of safety, like Bailey mentioned earlier, that's so helpful of just letting that out. And, and it's sort of the, you know, going back to when people assume that you are this perfect Latter-day Saint, that yeah, you experience same-sex attraction, but uh, haven't done anything wrong. It's sort of the phenomenon, like being a parent, when, when I go to my daughter and I'm, I raise her again and again, like, Oh, you're such the perfect daughter. You're doing so good. Oh, you do so well. And like with all these affirmations that are so positive that she then absorbs them thinking, I can never, I can never let him know that I actually do make mistakes. Right. And so sure. We'll be encouraging and, and maybe we will make assumptions that, that, you know, in the positive sometime, but never close the door of saying like, but if you do mess up, you do know, like, that's not a problem. Like that is actually the gospel is actually repenting and, and going through this. And, and so, uh, so I appreciate that perspective so much of, of not assuming that everything's just going great or they haven't quote unquote acted upon these, these feelings. Right. So, all right. Bailey, do you have a thought?
3: Yeah. I just think it's really important to recognize that everybody has their own individual experience and to not stereotype, generalize, assume anything. Right because yeah, I'm a different person than Quinn and a different person than Deb. And we have a similar experience, but we might see things a little differently. Yeah, And um, to really take the time to get to know that individual, ask them those questions so that you can.
0: Yeah. And you know, that truly is the risk of doing like an episode like this, because I want to speak to that to everybody out there, but at the end of the day, I can only have three of you here today. And these are three different experiences and some of them may disagree with some of the things you're saying, or some may say, well, I, you know, I would do it a different way, but that's okay. You know, that just approaching it. And especially that helps, it's helpful in a, as a leader, knowing that even though you may have that uh, sister in your walk in your office and share similar experiences, that doesn't mean that it's exactly like Bailey's experience or, or Quinn's experience, right? We, we just have to say, okay, this is an individual experience, but I have some, I have some background and some knowledge that maybe I can bring to the table, you know? So awesome. Let me, I want to ask you maybe uh, two more Two more questions, but yeah. the, the second last one is Quinn will start to do as far as the, a lot of people there's, there's a lot of resources out there, a lot of groups, you know, obviously it feels safe when we can go to a web page it's on the church's website and yeah. you know, okay, this is like approved. I, I won't get into trouble here, be left led astray. But, but Northstar to me as a, as a third-party nonprofit organization that really does a phenomenal job with creating community around this concept. Like help leaders understand, like for you, what has Northstar, like how has Northstar helped you in, in your journey?
2: Right. Well, I think you mentioned the word community. And as human beings, we're always looking for community, whether it's community of friends or our family communities, our church, our extracurricular. And this experience is no different. In fact, oftentimes, perhaps there's more of a need for community because many of us have been so alone in our journey for so long. And so when we can finally understand and acknowledge what we're experiencing, I think that the first reaction is to go and find someone else who can relate and to be a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and to experience same-sex attraction or to, to be gay is a unique and singular experience. And North Star is a place where we can come together and find individuals who are living similar experiences. And my experience with North Star has been fantastic. I've found people who I can relate to, who support me and who love me, regardless of what path I'm ultimately going to take. But especially supportive in my desire to, to be a covenant keeping member of the church of Jesus Christ. And there's also discreetness there. You don't need to, to be afraid that you're going to go and and be exposed in a way that you don't want to. I think everyone's really sensitive in that community and it's, it's a loving and kind place to be and to find support in our journey.
0: Awesome. Bailey, what about you? How has North Star helped you in your journey?
2: It's been really good
3: to realize that I'm Jared and I aren't the only ones trying to make our marriage work with this same sex attraction being part of it. The first conference we went to was actually the couples retreat in like a year and a half ago. (laughs) And it was like, oh, like there's other couples and they are figuring it out too. And they have hope, and just seeing them gives me hope. So it's yeah, the community is really huge and helpful. And it's just, there's a lot of love going around at North Star, and I, sure. I, I appreciate that.
0: Yeah. Deb, what about you? How, how's uh, North Star helped you in your journey?
1: It's realizing that other people understand. I think as humans, we all crave feeling understood. And I think that's where Christ is the perfect example through the atonement that he understands us perfectly. But in a situation like this, it's like this very small scale version of that kind of understanding of this is a big thing in my life that really affects a lot of aspects. And in this room, there are other people that really understand that. And that's just really nice. And it's nice to be around other people that are maybe more confident than me or at a time and help me be more comfortable with myself as I see them comfortable with themselves. Then I can relax a little bit and realize like, I'm okay. And this is okay. And there's hope as it's nice seeing people that are a few years Farther out than me, and how they've paved their path, and that it it looks pretty good, you know. Like my my life is not destined for sadness. That there there's great opportunities and happiness to be had, and also being connected with people that are maybe a few years behind in the path and where they where they're at, and helping them and reaching back and just allowing for that connection that. And giving them the reassurance like, hey, there's people who care about you and you can you can share this if you would like. And there are people who would be very supportive and that aren't going to judge you and that will try and support you where you're at. I think at North Star, there's a big just respect for other people's boundaries or their decisions or just kind of where they're at and it's okay. And I I've seen a lot of acceptance through the people that I've met at North Star. And it's just nice to have Kind of those friends and in different areas too that understand and that are supportive.
0: Love that. Well, Deb, we're, we'll stay with you with the last question. And this will be our last round robin question here. But how has uh, you recognizing this gift of being same sex attracted helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ?
1: I I've had a lot more compassion and patience and the understanding that people need to be reached out to. I think being gay has opened up my ability to minister to other people better and to realize everybody just needs a friend or someone to reach out. And that has, whether they be gay or not, or whether they have social, lacking social skills, or if they're new to an area or whatever, or even if they're the Relief Society president, everybody needs a friend and some support. And it's just, being able to listen and connect with people and help them where they're at and be with them where they're at and just love people for who they are. So that's what I would say.
0: Bailey, uh, how has your gift of being same-sex attracted helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ?
3: I just want to say ditto to what Deb said. (laughs) i will just
0: replay that again. Yeah. Yeah, That was good.
3: Oh, it's just, I have developed more compassion and understanding and love. People, all people,
0: great Gwen.
2: I would also echo what Deb and, and Bailey have said, and I'd add that this has been an interesting life experience. To put it simply, <laughs> it, it has been interesting for me. And at one point in time, I had to to think about that scripture, "Men are that they might have joy," and wonder if it applied to me. Did that really apply to me? And after years of, of reconciling. I realized it did apply to me, and there is joy in, in this path, and I feel like the gospel is filled with paradoxes. We read things such as, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Take my yoke upon you, and your burden shall be made light. Lose yourself to find yourself. And from a distance, these paradoxes seemingly contradict, but upon closer examination, we see that they don't. And sometimes it's easy for me to feel like I can't reconcile my attractions and my religion, but upon closer examination, I can. And I've had to adopt a very nuanced belief system to hold these seemingly contradicting ideas and pieces and parts at the same time. But I've found hope and I've found joy in that. And I've found that they're not incongruent, These pieces and parts of me are not incongruent or incompatible. And in fact, not only have I found hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I've found happiness and hope, not in spite of my attractions, but oftentimes because of them.
0: That concludes my interview with Quinn Kelly, Bailey Savage, and Deb Hutchins. Uh, bless their hearts. I love them so much. For coming and sharing with me. I learned a lot. I hope you did. This may be one that you could share with a bishop, with a Relief Society president, whoever comes to mind that maybe you could drop a link in an email and send it their way. That it would be so valuable. And this is really how we we help others is by sharing, right? So share it, please. Again, I can't encourage you enough to go to northstarlds.org and check out the, of course, I'll put the link in the show notes, but check out the, the resource of the conference coming up and be at the leadership sessions. Even if you have to carpool and, and drive across uh, Wyoming and, and get there in time for the conference, Like this, it would be so worth that trip to be there and to be involved in the, the leadership sessions. So go to, well, just go to the show notes and there you can uh, find the link to the Northstar conference or northstarlds.org is the, the link as well to, to register and be there. You do need to register even though the leadership sessions are for free so we know how many are coming and rather to set up more chairs, right? That's what we do in our culture. But anyways, thank you. If there's any other topic or perspective around the the LGBT community and the LGBT com- people out there, Latter-day Saints, what are we missing? What could we bring to you that would better help you understand and better help you enjoy your leadership experience ministering to these individuals? I, I know there's something. So go to leadingsaints.org contact and let me know. And remember, text the word LEAD to 474747 and join the Core Leader community today.
2: It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living Church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness—the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.